1: everybody to the OBR film breakdown have a great guest for your weekend bonus content that we are going to try to keep putting up Uh, at least one pod I think we'll get one pod in this weekend keep seeing if we can explore getting two over the weekends all depends on what interview guests can do throughout the week reminder of things we've had go up we had our defensive chalk talk that went up again John Stephenson joined that's a tough listen I think it's good to put in pod form but it's one that's best to watch if you're interested in the intricacies of defense. That is available. We had Fred uh, Greetham, Lane Atkins on last night for a quick Q and A, among many other great videos we have up on the YouTube channel. Please make sure you subscribe there if you can. And a quick reminder to, you know, subscribe to this pod. Now uh, make sure you get an automatic download of it. It's there for you every morning. And then lastly, uh, giving us a five star review and some sort of comment is always appreciated as well. If you are enjoying this content, we have Nathan Zagur on who is the Cleveland Browns daily host. Uh, he does a ton of different things. Just calling him the host of Cleveland Browns daily for the organization is a uh is is a a disservice to what he does for them he does a whole bunch of stuff so uh we're excited to have him on talked about a ton of things ranging from the rookies to the veterans otas all of it uh some insightful philosophical things with the organization too that i really like to hit on here as well so hopefully you do enjoy it let's get over to that interview right now all right we get the one and only nathan ziger in the building we got to ask him a good question the first question is I, Listen, I hate asking like talk about type questions, Nathan. I know you're, you're way better at this stuff than I am, man. But w- let me start this way. What year did you start covering the Browns, like official capacity?
0: Uh, yeah, my first year with the Browns doing a uh, Cleveland Browns Day was 2013. Uh, and then I became a full-time employee in the 2014 season. So I'll be entering my ninth season uh, with the Browns this year.
1: That's awesome. It's awesome. Well, the question I have piggybacks off that. You're almost a decade in what feels different from when you start I guess the question is does anything feel different from when you started and is it it's kind of like as they're winning now the culture's shifting do you feel that covering them up in close and personal
0: yeah well first of all I think things are the biggest difference is that we are being talked about as legitimate Super Bowl contenders and so that certainly wasn't the case 2013 if my memory serves I think we went four and 12. Uh, That was Rob Chudzinski's one year. Um, And then in 14, you felt like some of the things were being done and put in place. You know, Kyle was in the building um, and you had some very smart people in terms of maybe kind of a little ahead of their time with the analytics and where it would ultimately get with the NFL. But the biggest difference, what I would say now is, A, we're the contenders and B, it's pure harmony. It, It really is. It is pure football harmony in terms of the way that, Andrew Barry views things in the terms of the way that Kevin Stefanski views things, and I'd even add in Paul DePodesta, the chief strategy officer. Those three are so similar, not only in philosophy but in temperament, um, in intellect, in thoughtfulness. I always talk about the the three Ps. I made them four Ps now this year, uh, <laughs> and that is that. You know, these are guys, all of them, who are who are prepared. They've got a plan. They've got a process to implement the plan. And then I would add, they're incredibly poised, and, and I think that kind of steady stewardship and really having an idea—I can't tell you how many free agents I talked to. I'll give you a perfect example: Jadavian Clowney is one of them who said, "I just really like the plan that they had for me and for the team." And so, their ability to, you know, have the plan, communicate it, be unified in that approach—I think—is a is a is a big change. And you know, as a Browns fan right now, you know that. You know, you've got a general manager and a coach and a, and a chief strategy officer who are constantly thinking about how can we be the best we are today while also being the best we will be tomorrow. You know, you have a coach who just won coach of the year in his first season. And the first thing he says is, I need to get better. Uh, if I stay the same, I'm getting worse. So it's just kind of, I think that mindset and that culture has really permeated the building. And it really is, it's very harmonious. Uh, I think that the culture has changed and you see, the team is reflective of that.
1: That's, that's really good to hear. I mean, obviously some of those things have been, I guess, requests that we have wanted for so long. You want to hear your coach sound like, Oh, that's a really intelligent. I think with was Stefanski. I knew, you know, me, I try to, I try to study this stuff way too deep. And like, when he mentioned last year when he came in and said, here's why I want to keep teams in base packages, because then they can't blitz from ah. those exotic nickel packages. Ah. I was like, all right, man, I love that dude. I'm sold. And then you keep hearing these things and like the evolution stuff. And so many people have asked me that question uh, as as we've gone on, which is like, what do they do? What do they evolve? And I'm not worried about it. I think they'll find ways to evolve. And I'm not worried about those guys not being there quite yet because uh, it's refreshing to kind of get to my second point, Nathan, which is like Baker and these guys are more mature now. You don't have to be there because you're not implementing a new system. They'll get there. The work will be done. They'll put it in. No doubt about that. But it's not like they got to be there to sit there and study a playbook and talk through the verbiage of it and all that stuff. So like my my second sort of segue here is kind of who these guys are as people, because you get a really cool look at them. You get an up close view of the things that you get on air and you don't get on air. You know, there's things that you can't tell anybody and there's things you can. And it's like the thing that strikes me is the maturity of the young guys, the guys who we have seen grow. You've seen Baker, you know, you've seen Miles. These guys are now four years, five years deep in the league, Nick. I mean, Nick doesn't say much, but you know, the, the, the maturity. Yeah. Stuff, has that been striking to you is like, these are now men. These aren't young kids that have come in kind of fresh. These are now men that are leading this franchise. And it's, it's, it's been kind of cool to see that evolution. Am I on the right path there? Or are they just the same old good, you know, good, good vibe guys?
0: No, I think you are. And I think it's part of, you know, Stefanski and AB saying, we want guys who are smart, tough, and accountable in the building. And they did a pretty good job of overhauling the roster to get it in that way. And I think if you were to ask, you know, probably Baker, the biggest difference between, you know, 2019 Baker and 2020 Baker is maybe just the, some of the direction and the culture that was set. And then his desire to, you know, put in the work. I mean, it, the transformation he made over the course of the 2020 season is is remarkable. And I remember talking to Alex Van Felden, he goes, he just, he, he will, he takes coaching very well and he is not afraid to put in the work to get better. And I think part of that is some. Uh, uh, there's a, a maturation process that comes along with it. I also think they're very thoughtful in the guys that they choose to bring in. There'll be exceptions to every rule if somebody's talent is you know, worth taking that gamble on. But you, know, you just talk to a guy, for example, Anthony Walker Jr. It's very clear why they made him a Cleveland Brown. John Johnson III, take away the fact that he's an incredible talent, one of the best safeties in the NFL. It's obvious why they chose to make him a Cleveland Brown. And even with the rookie class this year and last year, I would say, It's obvious why they picked these guys to be Cleveland Browns. And so I think that's part of the culture. But, yeah, I love seeing Miles out there at OTAs. You know, you kind of talked about the offense. We're running it back. I mean, you're bringing back everybody who was a contributor really on almost any level on your offense last year and the entire coaching staff are back. Anthony Schwartz and his speed and Odell, you know, after missing second half season, they'll be added back in. But other than that, it's the same that maybe Dimitri Felton gets an opportunity because he's looked pretty good uh, as a route runner, certainly early in the OTAs. But you're running it back. So I know that these guys are as committed and dedicated as ever. And the other thing I can tell you and and just kind of piggybacking off what Stefanski said, he said he's not going to name names, but the participation in the meetings has been excellent. So you're talking about Mm -hmm. missing a couple days of on-field work to be as as, you know, comes fancy, talked about miles in an environment that you feel is very comfortable right now and conducive to your success. And they'll get in here and they will put in the work. But you mentioned Stefanski and then culture, just the way that he handled all of the media this week about OTAs, who's there, who's not, is just quintessentially him. And also is a contrast to some of the way that questions like that may have been handled in the past with the Browns. So you have a guy who is not flustered and his, you know, opinion is very much. I'm going to coach the guys that are here. I'm going to coach the guys that are that are, you know, able to be coached at this point to the best that I can. And, you know, you think about a football team that went into Pittsburgh in the wild card last year without their head coach, without their pro Bowl left guard, without their starting corner and won. And and I think that's, you know, that's what the Browns are about when you have the right process and the right leadership and the right guys in place. And I think that's very important. The guys and I would say Baker, no doubt, has matured. Miles has done it. You see them taking on Mm -hmm. leadership roles uh, and their play backing it up on the field.
1: Yeah. Maturity is a big theme. I know the unified vision stuff is awesome and seeing Depot get a ton of FaceTime and building the Browns. There's no division there. There is a bunch of guys who see it the same way. They don't care if I get the the camera on. It's none of that stuff. So the maturity is real. That's not just like something you're talking about, hoping they get there someday. Maybe no, the maturity is real and it's trickling down through the rest of the organization. So when you get to the rookie class, because I want to pick your brain on this, you've, you've had a chance to spend so much time with these guys now being at rookie camp and you know getting those guys in the building first, first crack at talking to them, and I've loved it, is the, the beautiful part is they don't have to rely on these guys. J.O.K., New, some, they could have a role. It's very clear how they get on the football field. Yep. But if they didn't for the first time in a long time, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's crazy to think that. It's not the end of the world, which is great. That's where we want to get to. But I feel like as we talk about, Nathan, like the age guardrails, they like younger players, obviously. They like certain athletic criteria's. They're, they're gearing themselves for a maturity element, too, and I, I think that sticks to me as, like, the first two guys they selected, and even Anthony Schwartz, they struck me as, like, these guys are 21, but they're very mature, like, they, they seem very well thought out, they, you know, especially J.O.K. and Greg, who... J.O.K. comes in and well, he had a really great quote about everything being very clear to him when he went to the second round, just the maturity around the conversation there. And Greg's point about what he wore on a suit and his girlfriend and all of that stuff, man, is like, has that caught you by surprise, too? Do you love that element of the whole thing so far?
0: So, yeah, and it, it, it ties in, in exactly what what you were saying. And, you know, Paul DePodesta, one of the cool things he did for the employees of the organization uh, this year is during the draft when the Browns would be on the clock and were going to make their pick. Once they had decided who they were picking, he did a zoom with the organization kind of giving the thought process behind the pick, why, what they were thinking, what was, you know, what, what they liked about the player or the person, et cetera. And the maturity factor was clearly a big part of it. The intelligence factor, smart, tough, accountable. Right. So I will say, I'll start with Newsom, a very talented guy, very confident guy. Um, Definitely understands his role and just I've interviewed him, you know, right after he was drafted. I interviewed him at rookie minicamp and then I interviewed him uh, recently and we're going to get a chance to talk to him again for the Browns live uh, meet the rookie special that we're doing. Um, and I've even seen an evolution in him in just that brief period of time. And he was coming from obviously, very smart guy played at Northwestern and. Um, and I think he's going to fit right into exactly what this defense is trying to do. And for the rookies, you know, you had a rookie minicamp with, I think, 18 guys there or maybe 20 guys total. They were getting basically one-on-one coaching. Busu Koromo, once Fields got a little bit dinged up, you had he was working one-on-two with Tarver and Ben Bloom. So mm-hmm. they got this incredible coaching opportunity, and I think it really has benefited them. But when you talk, and Anthony Schwartz, they, they repeatedly said was the most intelligent receiver they felt in this draft. Um, And they love, obviously, look, the world-class speed. You can't coach that. You can't teach that. It just is. And he's got it. Now he gets a chance to work with Chad O'Shea, who I think is one of the best receiver coaches in the NFL. So that'll be great. But the guy I really want to just kind of zero in on is Jeremiah Koromoa, who I find in my nine years now and and being in a role where I've been fortunate enough to interview every rookie that we have had. um, And we've had many, numerous impressive guys. Mm -hmm. He's the most mature thoughtful, just impressive young man I've talked to with the Browns. And I mean that every rookie class, that's not a knock on anybody else. It's just saying this guy is incredibly special to me. And just to give you a little example of that, I like to at the end of my interviews with guys, you know, because football, you're playing in the uniform. It's not like basketball where you can see their faces and really get a feel for their personalities. I usually like to ask in the interview with, you know, what's one thing you want Browns fans to know about you? So when they see you on the field, this is something that's in the back of their mind. And sometimes you get footballish answers. You know, I'm, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give 100%. I'm going to do everything I can for the city, which are all great and, and certainly um, good things to know. But he had kind of covered all that in our interview. And so I said, take football out of it. And, you know, this is a young guy whose answer was, the one thing I want people to know about me is that I'm constantly trying to, to have a better understanding of the human condition. And so I study different cultures and different religions so that when I'm in, you know, a situation with somebody that maybe something I've learned will help me be able to understand where they're coming from in a situation that might be different than mine. And he kind of related that back to when he was a young guy in Virginia, you know, people would get the best kind of players in basketball and football would get kind of cherry picked around. And all of a sudden you'd be on a new team and have to adapt with new people and a lot of diversity and diverse experiences, diverse backgrounds. And so from that moment on, and he's always been a spiritual guy, his, you know, his mom was a retired Sergeant in the Air Force. And so instilled a lot of discipline in him, but there's a lot of spirituality in his life. And so he's just kind of this, you know, deep guy. And I remember I said to him a time ago, I'm double your age, and I don't even understand the human condition. Like I'm still working on this. Like yeah. th- that answer blew my mind, and I actually, after I interviewed him, kind of draft night, you you knew that he got it. I mean, he was already quoting the three pillars: smart, tough, and accountable. And Joe Thomas was really blown away by him. And then after that interview that I did with someone around Ricky minicamp, I remember I went. I talked with uh, Coach Tarver, who I, I I really like and have gotten to know pretty well. And I said, man, this kid is just so impressive. And he said, yeah, he is really impressive. You know, football-wise that I "I love, he just wants to know everything and doesn't ever make the same mistake twice. And you love that. But just as a guy, I mean, he feels so much like a natural leader to me. Um, And Anthony Walker Jr. has that too, uh, who they signed the free agent from the Colts in that room. So that room I think is going to be a pretty special room actually with those two. But Usu Koromoa has just been, I mean, he really, uh, to say that he blew my yeah. mind would be an understatement. Just incredibly impressive, mature, talented, obviously. Uh, and I think he is going to be a fan favorite. And he already talks like Stefanski. I was asking him, you know, <laughs> what's the nickname? I saw him tweeting about nicknames. What's the nickname? He goes, well, I, you know, we had some ideas thrown around the fan street, some things around, but I, I'm not going to allow myself to have a nickname until I've earned that with my level of play on the field. And, he you know, that. just, it, it, he's... He, it feels like he basically is Kevin Stefanski is like speaking through him some of the Mm -hmm. times, which is Mm -hmm. just, it's wild for a guy who's just new to the program, but you can tell it's just who he is, the way he was brought up and the way he's kind of approached everything in his life. So I, I think, you know, you look at it, you know, that we're Newsome gone at 26. He was a guy that seriously would have been in the conversation for the Browns at 26. And now you get them both. And that feels pretty good.
1: Yeah. You run into some of these people in your life, right, man, who you, who you like, just step back and you got to say that guy thinks different and he's one yeah. of them. And he has a chance, not every, not every, even the really good players in the NFL, not all of them have a chance to be that type of of leader, that type of guy. And he has, and the good thing is, and you've mentioned it here, Nathan is like, he's surrounded by Anthony Walker, who the guy received tribute videos for what he did for people from a, yeah. from a mental standpoint. Like, and, and then he says that JOK is like a Darius Leonard type of player today. So those are things you love to hear. And then John Johnson, who will just, Rub off on him in the best way conceivable. So you're really excited about the blend of all of that coming together, and and um, you know who, who knows what JOK becomes on the field. But from a person standpoint, that guy's got a lot going for him the rest of the way down the road. So pretty excited yeah, no about out. that. Um, well, I'll ask you a couple more things before we, before we close. Do you, I've had this theory, this running theory about how important 2019 was to this group because. You know, 2019. You were no, you're no stranger to it. They were pretty hyped, man. Like people were picking them, and, and it was no secret. And and um, riding high. And they, we're not, we're not here to talk about 2019's results and why they happened. But more so, to me, Nathan, it's important that they experienced 2019 because 2019 humbled them in a lot of ways. Even to the point Nick said it humbled them. Uh, they 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 truly were underdogs going into 2020. Everybody kind of kept knocking them, kicking them, all that stuff. They come out, they they surprised. They didn't surprise us, but they surprised the national football audience of how how efficient they were, how many games they won. So 2021, I'm less concerned about this the the, the media giving them love than I was a couple of years ago because I think a they saw what an inflated ego does to you in the NFL and then they saw what it takes to actually win. The the, the theme on the building, team and work and they they talk about work all the time. Yep. That's all they say. That's a unified thing, it's all they say. So like I think that this is just my theory and you can call me an idiot if you want to be here, but I just think that 2019 is the most important season to 2021 success, which is weird because 2020 happened and they, they found what it takes to win. But like the guys who were here, Baker, Denzel, Nick miles, those important keys to this engine experienced that. Right. And I think that's pretty important. And I'm sure we'll hear about that from them in the coming months. Right.
0: I, I do think it was important. And I think in many ways, it was a lot of hype, a lot of talk, and then it, it fell flat and you have guys who, you know, a lot of them at big time college programs that had the hype and always that just had kind of backed it up. And, you know, you were able to kind of roll the helmet out there and, and be better. And 2018 happened under, you know, zero expectations. And so 19 expectations that falls flat. I think it kind of showed them, yeah, like you have to bring it every single week. And, and it's about not really even what happens on the Sundays. It's everything that bleeds up to the Sunday. It's the yeah. preparation. It's the work it's the planning by the coaching staff and collaboration oftentimes with the players that allows them to have this success. And I think that left a bitter taste and obviously a lot of their mouths. And so 2020 comes and you almost have the perfect coach for it because number one, he is, he is going to, he's all about the work. He said that from day once, the first word he ever showed the team. Number two, they know how meticulous and detail oriented he is in his preparation and Joe Thomas told me something that really struck me. Players know right away. They know yeah. right away who is the real deal as a coach. And players also know that when they're getting great game plans and that they're being put in the best positions to succeed week in and week out, that if it doesn't work, it's on them. It's much easier when you know you're not getting a great game plan or, or defenses know what's coming or any of those situations. be like, well, this isn't on me. I, I don't need who cares. It's it's yeah. we're over it's over before it started. But when you know the opposite is true. And for Joe in his time, he said the guys he's talked to, like Joel, he says they have that with Stefansky. You know, he goes back to when he was with Kyle and he's like, We knew with Kyle we were being put in the right positions in 2014. And if we did our jobs, we were going to be successful. And that's I think how the guys feel now. And I think it gives them some ownership over it, some responsibility. And you look at and look at the way Baker transformed his body headed into 2020. He's doing more of it, yeah. obviously, even now this year. That's the dedication. That's the lifestyle that it has to be to be successful at this level where the margin for error is so razor thin and it's going to come down to a couple plays here or there. And I think, you know, for Browns fans, take Baker for example, you knew he had put in the work and transformed the body. It was a little bit, you know, choppy at the beginning of the season as he was getting acclimated to this new offense, but. By the second half of the season, and I'll take Pittsburgh, for example, you run kind of a concept in week six with the double slants against a robber and they pick six it. You come back in a similar third down situation, window dress it a little differently. And in fact, the Steelers window dress their robber a little differently. And yeah, he get that creeper out of the
1: line of scrimmage, man. We don't want that exactly. crap. Get him out right thing. up.
0: <laughs> and then he ended up, he waited and threw yeah. it over him behind a landry. It was a touchdown. And that play, you talked to Alex Van Pelt, even Stefanski Baker. That's when that was a play in a money situation where you knew that it had become his lifestyle and that all of the improvements he made in his footwork and his accuracy as the season went on, that this is a guy that absolutely you want to build the ship around. And I remember AVP who was, you know, Calling the plays in that playoff game. Remember, they had cut it to 12. And, and for Browns fans, that's when things got a little bit nervous in there. And they go the next play, next drive. I think it was six plays, 80 yards culminated in the screen to Chubb. And five of the play calls were passes. And he said, I wanted to put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands. And he delivered. And so I think it's those kind of things when it didn't go the way you wanted. And then knowing what needed to be there, getting the great coaching, putting in the work yourself and seeing the success. And now, you know, it's the bitter taste of we know we had a chance to beat the Chiefs. And once Mm -hmm. you do that, now you're in a two-game tournament. And then the Browns can beat anybody. And they know that. And now the roster is running back on offense. It's incredibly improved on defense. I mean, out of your, right now, you think top 13, maybe nine are going to be new of your top. You can put together a legitimate nickel defense with guys who didn't play a snap for the Browns last year. So it is a markedly improved team. And I think that they know that doesn't matter. And Stefanski is great about paper schmaper last year. Doesn't matter. We've got to go. We've got to work. And I do think that this team is incredibly bought into that mindset. And so I would expect that we're going to have a lot of success and it will be well deserved and well-earned when it comes.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely that expectation, and justifiably so. The team's—I always say this—the team has to be good on paper before they're ever in the Super Bowl. So you check that box, and now you roll with all the external stuff. You made a great point about Baker. You know, I'm I'm talking about the team in 2019. That year, serving important. If we talk to him in 10 years, you know, we're all aged 10 years down the line here. I think he might point back to 2019 himself and say that's when I realized that that was a huge turning point for me about my NFL career. So um, we'll close with this. I know Baker's pumped to get everybody back in the building. You down on the sidelines, live action this year, finally getting back in it.
0: Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And yeah, first energy same is going to be rocking. I can't wait for that. I can't wait yeah, to be man. you know in the building. And, you know, that's one of the great things uh, about my job. Uh, other than that, I love the NFL. I love the Browns. Again, you talk about for a living awesome, but getting to back, be back, you know, in the community and seeing people out and the excitement for the Browns and how much people, can't wait to get back in that stadium it's going to be rocking i mean we've waited so long for this and as i always say you know i grew up in the san francisco bay area with the i was a 49ers fan winning super bowls in the 80s joe montana bernie kosar and the 80s browns teams are significantly a bigger deal in this city than Montana and the Niners are in the Bay Area. It just mm-hmm. is. It's just that's what how passionate the city is. And so for this place to be rocking, and you know, my hope obviously look is Super Bowl. That's what I think that the expectation not expectation, but you have a legitimate chance to compete for and win the Lombardi trophy. And so I think everything, every decision, every day of practice, every rep is is, is hopefully taken in that mind. It starts with winning the AFC North, then you go in the playoffs. But the idea of a home playoff game. <laughs> at First Energy Stadium yeah, is just something to me that would be one of just the great moments and, and obviously the greatest moment in my career with the Browns, but one of the great moments for this city and what it would mean and, and the, the atmosphere would be electric. And I, I can't wait for that because these are the best fans in the world. And I mean that I've gotten a chance to really, you know, be in this city. I've lived here for 20 plus years now. And nobody deserves it more. And so I really hope that while this has all the opportunity to be special, that it that it comes to fruition. And I think it will be, man, something to really share and, and kind of, you know, build around as a community, which will be awesome.
1: Yeah, it's something we've all kind of had our eye on for, for three, four years. Now yeah. about that. it would be so cool to see it come to fruition. It would really be cool. So he's Obviously, the man, Nathan Zagura, Cleveland Browns Daily. You already follow him. You don't need me to tell you where to find him. I am really (laughs) humbled and appreciated uh, that you would come on my show, my friend. Thank you for your time.
0: Well, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure when we have you on Browns Daily because you bring such great insight. And you put in the work. You put in the tape study and break things down. And so it's always fun to get to talk to you as well. So appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Nathan.
1: Okay, some minor housekeeping stuff to take note of. I believe this is going to be the end of uh, the YouTube live streams. So if you have been uh, catching those YouTube live streams, we are going to be doing some different things on the OBR, aim to get something up every single night. We are going to do, we have some things, some announcements coming, doing doing different things to get content up every night. But uh, this is going to be end of the OBR film breakdown, having a live show on YouTube. So if you're listening to this as a podcast anyway all the time, nothing changes. Uh, Just wanted to inform folks uh, that maybe sometimes rely on the YouTube show. I will be on the OBR doing a bunch of different things on the YouTube channel, but we're just going to keep this in audio form. Uh, of 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 entertainment here so uh, make sure you again are subscribed to this so you know specifically when it goes live and you have a chance to to always have that for your listening pleasure whenever you listen mornings evenings lunch afternoon whatever it is uh, just hopefully you're you're able to find it and still listen to the the bunch of different things we're going to talk about on on the obr phone breakdown the great guests we're going to have so thanks for joining us if you have any questions comments twitter dms are always open you know that until we talk. Next time, have a great, great, great weekend and go brown.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.